Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Bill Hupworth, the Deputy Program Executive Officer for the Army's Program Executive Office, Enterprise Information Systems, PEOEIS. Bill, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Bill, there's a lot to talk about. I know we're going to start with the Army contract writing system. I know you wanted to at least uh, jump in and offer a little bit of insights of, of PEOEIS, Army contracting writing system. So let me just open it up for you to, to lead off. This is actually a, a very exciting time to be having this conversation, obviously. As you know, on July 28th, we released uh, a, an initial Agile MVP of the product to start getting user feedback. And that was only a little over, I think, 14 months since we started this uh, new endeavor. And I'm happy to say that the uh, feedback we've gotten from the user community has been absolutely fantastic uh, to start with. So uh, it's an exciting time, I think, for the ACWS program and similarly for the PEO as a whole because ACWS is really kind of our pathfinder for proving out our agile transformation and digital transformation strategies. I know that ACWS has been a challenge for the Army, for the Navy, for a lot of the DOD for for several years. So let's start with that MVP, uh, Minimal Viable Product. You said it's about 14 months. What does it look like today? How many users? Give me a little bit more background about the ACWS. We originally started off with about 104 users. That's what the deployment covered on the initial release, and that was over a total of 29 different sites. So the goal behind that was to put it out there and start getting the users' experiences and get their feedback so that we can continue to improve the product in a a series of small increments. In the first quarter of 2024, we're hoping to expand that out to 350 additional users. And then in the uh, six months after that, we will also be expanding out the user scope to about 2,800 users which uh, will be dependent upon us completing the GFEBS interface, which will unlock a whole new set of uh, functionality and features uh, and start making the system really super compelling at that point. Interesting. So you're starting small, getting that feedback, continue to improve. So this initial 104 users, assuming uh, it works well, you go to 350, what type of functionality do they have today? How are they using the system, broadly speaking? There's about six major uh, function areas that they're using, and most of it having to do with contract initiation. And to date, as I understand it, they've already initiated 27 different contracts uh, using this capability. It's also allowing us to start importing certain elements of data already, and also to publish these contracts. So it's, uh, it's coming along uh, much according to the plan that we established uh, when we started this. Now, this has been a journey for the Army in many ways. And, and as you said, and we're going to get into the really transformation that the POEIS is going through around digital and agile uh, efforts. But give me a sense of, of what made you kind of decide that the, the effort with CGI just wasn't going to work out, that this Air Force Con IT system really was the best way to go. Help me walk that 14 months ago as you made that decision. I, I know you are forgive me if I'm wrong here, but fairly new to PEOEIS, but uh, I I know there's probably a little bit of background that you're familiar with. The process started obviously before the pivot point, and what we are always doing here at PEOEIS is trying to deliver the right products as fast as we can deliver them, and especially under Mr. Guckert, that has been a primary drive, is moving timelines left, not right. So, What happened was we were performing a lot of uh, research to determine how best to get this contract writing solution in the hands of the contracting professionals as quickly as possible. 
So as you've probably heard, the Air Force uh, contracting IT solution was actually being used very effectively by the Air Force. And as we began uh, having conversations with them, we realized there's a tremendous amount of synergy between Army contracting and the Air Force's contracting approach. In such the point where we looked at it and said that the actual shortest path is not to continue on the path that we are presently on, but rather to pivot and to use an existing GOTS product. So that kind of informed our decision to enter into an interagency agreement with the Air Force and also the uh, Department of Agriculture, who was acting as our integrator, and then DLA subsequently for the hosting. So what we really have now is we are leveraging an existing capability via um, government interagency agreements, uh, which is working out exceptionally well. That decision is always difficult, right? I mean, you, you go down a path, you invest money, you invest time, you invest all this effort. Uh, how much of that that you had used, that you invested through the, the, the initial effort with CGI, were able to kind of pick up and move over to the Air Force Con IT system, even if it's just some of the data and the taxonomy or the processes? Obviously, the technology is different. We know that. But how much of it were you able to, to reuse? Uh, because I think a lot of people say, well, was all that money, and I know you didn't spend a ton of money on CGI with CGI, but was that wasted or were you able to, to take advantage of some of that? Yeah, I, I would say we're able to take advantage of an awful lot, right? So one of the most expensive parts of building a system really doesn't always come from the IT side. Frequently, it comes from the business process reengineering efforts, uh, the requirements definition, and as you stated, starting to figure out your data taxonomies and information you need to collect. It also includes starting the SLA process with your uh, data partners. And so we were able to leverage pretty much all of that. There was heavy usage from what it came before. And I, I think you brought up a really good point too, is that the PEO really does not take it lightly ever to have to pivot. You know, once, once we get a plan down, we like to execute that plan. However, again, we hold ourselves to a very high standard in terms of delivering and our obligation is to our functionals and make sure that we get them the products they're asking for at the fastest possible delivery cadence we can. And so that ultimately, I think, was the tipping factor in us pivoting. One of the things when you talk about the pivot and, and, and the business process reengineering efforts, did you, over the years, the concern was, well, the Army is the Army and the Air Force is the Air Force and the Navy is the Navy and you all are different. And, you know, you do contracting similarly but differently. Did you find that your actually business processes and even the data taxonomies were closer than you initially thought? It, it, did that help drive the change that this GOT system really met? And again, you know, we always hear the 80-20 rule, 80% of your needs, and then that other 20% can be customized. And I don't, I don't know for your per, if it was really 80-20, but some high percentage, I'm sure it did meet. There's a couple of facets of, of that. So the BPR that we invested in and that interactivity with the Air Force and kind of going over, it's like, hey, how do you do it? How do you, how do you perform your contracting? We were able to see that there was actually more commonality than difference. There, that those minor differences were easily accounted for by the strategy that we've chosen to go down. So we are not trying to work with the Air Force and the Navy and Army and get us all to do the exact same contracting pattern. This is more of a coalition of the willing, and we're all heading down a common path, building out a common core for the contracting components that we agree on, but all of us still reserve the right to customize the code further to handle the specific contracting processes that we're beholden to. Now, 
there's an interesting other evolution that PEOAS has begun under and our functionals are in lockstep with it. And that is we want to use commercial practices when possible and military when necessary. And you'll hear that catchphrase used frequently. So I think the big willingness uh, for all of the parties involved to actually start adopting more commercial-like processes is giving us a common language to operate from. And this is something we'll be applying to our other future big programs as well, that rather than trying to hammer our underlying platforms into the military processes, we're showing that flexibility and agility to adapt our processes to the products where it makes sense. Now, Bill, you know I'm going to ask you the question, so I might as well just put it out there. Can you give me an example of maybe one process or two that comes to mind where you have adopted to the commercial side versus trying to stick with the military side? Because customization is where a lot of these IT products do end up kind of hitting a wall and really struggling. One of the most impactful ones, and I would step away from ACWS for a second, because we have some amazingly impactful processes that we're starting to form under EBSC. And in working with our functionals now, our functionals are actually learning SAP first before they give us their new VPRs, which is phenomenal. I mean, think, think about what that means. They're saying that they're willing to review every single one of their processes, figure out how industry is actually doing it, and then those become our default processes. So when you consider the magnitude of a product like EBSC, you can easily see that the dollar figures uh, in the level of effort that will be saved uh, by taking that mentality is going to be huge. And one of the things when you talk about the understanding of the business process reengineering is, again, I go back to the customization. Do you have any sort of, and I think it's maybe a little bit too early, but I'll throw this out there as well. Do you have any guess at how much will be GOTS, government off the shelf versus customization for the Army? I mean, is that been looked at yet or is that on an as-needed basis as you do each sprint, as you do each iterative development? It's going to start with our aid group. As soon as we start up a project, the aid team is going to start uh, providing some of that initial analysis to figure out, is there already a GOTS product that's already doing exactly what we needed to do? And if so, then that's obviously going to be a, a very, very uh, attractive choice for us to go with. Now, in certain cases, we may say that we still need to build our own. However, let's say that we're bringing in a major ERP system. That is where, again, we're going to lean on having the PPR processes aligned to that product rather than hammering the product into submission to do exactly what we want to do. So then I would say that even throughout development and using the Agile methodology, as our priorities change and new requirements are identified, we will expect that the architects will keep looking uh, to see the right product mix uh, and, and the right way of delivering those capabilities. So another uh, area you'll probably hear PEOEIS talk about is the agility layer. And it may be in certain cases we are not going to build a uh, unique or niche capability right into the platform. We may employ the agility layer instead which might be a low-code, no-code platform just to deliver that one-off uh, delivery of capability. So I would say architectural true to agile form is an ongoing iterative affair, not a one-off decision. And Bill, if I could just put a finer point on that question, uh, I probably should have been clearer, but I was thinking more about the uh, Army contract writing system specifically. Do you have a sense yet how much that's going to be customized versus uh, GOTS? 
We are right now, I, th I think you probably said it right, right up front when you said 80-20. We do believe that the overwhelming number of requirements actually are in alignment with each other. So I would be disappointed if it was less than 70% core, not modified, and hopefully uh, as the Army starts adding in our unique flavors, it'll be a very small proportion, maybe 20-25%. And the fact that you may have to do some customization, how are you balancing out that because you could get the 70, 75% right, but that 20, 25% could really take you down a bad rabbit hole where all of a sudden the customization becomes the albatross around your neck and, and it sinks the, the, the effort. How are you ensuring that that customization doesn't, doesn't bring you down, doesn't weigh you down? We'll use a Navy, it doesn't anchor you. We'll use a Navy term, right? There's a couple answers to the question and it starts with governance. And we're making sure that we apply governance to ensure that when we deviate from the core platform that we're doing it with forethought, uh, not just simply going out there and customizing because somebody said customize. So governance is, the, is key pillar number one. Another key pillar is the uh, setting the architectural standards up front. And one of the architectural standards is that we try to accept what we do have rather than overriding and, you know, just continuously uh, making modifications to the platform to the point where it's no longer sustainable. Now, another thing that's very interesting is that the way that ACWS is being delivered from the Air Force and Con IT is they are putting out versioned core baseline products, and we are applying our changes on top of that. So that core will always be protected, and any change that you would try to make that would not work well with the core will get rejected. And again, we're doing this in two-week sprints. So it's very easy for us to course correct once we realize that a customization is running afoul or causing undue complexity to the system. So again, iterative, two-week chance to respond to any issues, frequent testing will point some of these things out. Bill, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation. My guest today is Bill Hupworth, the Deputy Program Executive Officer for the Army's Program Executive Office, Enterprise Information Systems, PEOEIS. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Bill Hupworth, the Deputy Program Executive Officer for the Army's Program Executive Office, Enterprise Information Systems, PEOEIS. These two-week sprints, I mean, that really gives you the opportunity, one, small changes, because in two weeks, how much can you really get done? But two, see if there's a problem, get the users involved. Talk a little bit about the governance. Who's part of it? Is it Army CIO? Is it Army uh, ASALT, uh, who's, who's part of that governance? How are those decisions being made? And then the testing piece with the users, maybe go into that a little bit as well. We usually have representatives from the functionals and ASALT, mainly because, you know, ASALT is kind of the gatekeeper and uh, they usually provide some amazingly great input. Then the, the development team has got to be part of that equation. And coming up this year that you'll see in 2024 is the introduction of the OEMs for the major platforms as a part of that governance team because they know how their architecture and system should be used correctly. So what we're hoping to do now is that as we uh, get through the architecture design, that's gonna go through the governance process to make sure we aren't building unnecessary capability and that we're not building or modifying the architecture beyond its intent uh, to the point where we'll have issues. So you'll hear a lot about that across many programs over the next year. We've already begun talking to each of the PMs, making sure that they have OEM representation on their governance boards. So again, we're not solving it just for ACWS. You mentioned the fact that the functionals, ASALT development teams are a part of it. 
uh, OEMs are part of it. I, I imagine you're pushing this down to the user community too to say, hey, we think this new feature is close. Does it meet your needs? And they come back and say, yeah, it does. Or, well, it could be better this way. Or, no, this is this makes things worse. How is the user community part of it? The governance boards are not just, um, you know, standing up and, and reviewing documentation like we used to do in the past. We used to, we used to hit them with massive documents about all the proposed changes, in engineering change proposals. Today, they're actually invited to look at the actual backlog that the, the development teams use. And what they do is that they prioritize the... Um, the backlog entries in a one-to-end list, and they also make recommendations about things they don't want to invest in, and they'll make recommendations to alter, perhaps make come up with an alternative to what the users are requesting. So you can see that's a very intimate level of governance that we did not previously have uh, to the point where our governance, our teams are really hyper-engaged with the development process rather than just dealing with things at an engineering change proposal level. So that's certainly helping. And by the way, just for clarification, so like, you know, when we talk about ASALT, I use the general term, but really it's uh, DASAP with an ASALT that is most engaged in these governance boards. Bill, I appreciate the clarification on that. I mean, uh, again, there's all the acronyms we're going to go through with DOD. It's, it's good to kind of bring that to the, to the right level. When you look back at the effort that POEIS did with CGI over the initial idea of the contract writing system, was that one of the biggest lessons you learned that you maybe would say to others who are looking down this path? Because I know there's a lot of other agencies who are looking at contract writing systems over the years, and some have been less successful and more successful. But is it is it that governance piece and that bringing in the users that really, you know, as you said, you didn't have this level of governance previously, that really is one of the bigger lessons learned from the last, you know, three, four years? Absolutely, yeah. And I, I like to, to joke about the fact that we're a learning organization in so much that almost every project offers some ability to learn from that project and how it was executed. Even well-run projects, sometimes we learn from them that, you know, hey, we did this well, but we could have done it great. So, yes, I would say that, you know, we, we've learned from, um, from the CGI experience. I think we've learned from other programs as well. And we continuously roll them up through the CIO uh, under Mike Chappell and the aid team. And matter of fact, the aid team's primary mission is to go through each of the programs and to identify their successes and reinforce them as best practices, to look at issues that we've had and to take lessons learned from them and also to share those out throughout the entire program. So I think one of the things you're probably gonna notice in the next year with PEOEIS is all of our programs will hopefully become more uniformly excellent over time and they will have a more consistent feel and communication style uh, that we may not have had in the past. Bill, I wanna definitely move on to other things outside of Army Contract Writing System, but before I do that, one last uh, area I just wanna to touch upon is how are you measuring the success of ACWS implementation? Uh, I think, what are your metrics? How are you saying this is meeting the user's needs, this is meeting the Army's needs more generally? Obviously, the most critical is going to be user adoption. And by user adoption, we don't mean simply somebody used the system because they were ordered to do it. We want to see our users not only use the system, but to become vocal proponents for it, to uh, be engaged in helping us drive future enhancements for it. So that really becomes our overall metric is the end user community's interaction with the product and their love of the product. Obviously, we want to meet the mission and make sure the functionals are also happy that it achieves their goals as well. And 
very importantly, what we're trying to also do is going back to the data-driven organization part is we really want to see this in the form of metrics. So, for example, when we do user studies now and we do surveys, we're literally trying to capture metrics on how they feel about the system and areas that they would like to improve. And we don't just do it at the system level. We ask them at the module level saying, how did you feel about starting a new contract in ACWS? And we'll get ratings done at that level. And so we capture that information and it helps us make sure that we are on track with each one of our deliveries according to the civilians and the soldiers that use it. Over the long term, as you said, you I think when you at the very beginning of our conversation, Bill, you mentioned the numbers, uh, about 2,800 users for six months of 2024. Uh, I imagine others you'll continue to expand, assuming everything goes well. Uh, is there a goal to say we want the Army, all contracting officers, to use this system by a certain date or a certain timeline? What's the long-term vision? Long-term vision is we, we would like to have around 10,000 of the uh, Army contracting professionals using the system, and I think that in, in corp encompasses some 300 sites. So, yeah, we, we would like ACWS to be the contract writing solution, bar none, uh, across the Army. But from a timeline perspective, that's hard. To, is that harder to say within the, by 2025, by 2026? Because there's also the current system, I imagine, it would be nice to sunset and get out of the support, the payment, and all the, all the costs and time associated with that. Yeah, and, and I, I think my answer to this is going to be the same answer I give to all of our programs, is that we prefer not to uh, commit on dates that you simply don't know. Now, the a key tenet of Agile is you're responding to change. It's designed to, to handle change. And so we do expect there may be priority uh, changes, there may be uh, features that are re required faster than others that we're than we're planning today. So I will only say that it will be conditions-based, and once the product is ready for full rollout, then it will go. But we do hope it's over the next you know, couple years, and we do envision you will see a steady cadence of releases with ever-increasing populations, and we are uh, very keen and anxious to re retire the three legacy systems that support it today. So for us, moving that date left is always an objective. Is there anything you're doing to guard against this idea that, hey, I'm using the new one and then my partner or my coworker next to me is using the old one and, and there's a little bit of mismatching happening or, or how, how are you ensuring that I'm not using the new one for this function but the old one for that function and the two systems don't talk? Is that at all a concern or are things separated in a way that... If I'm using the new one, I'm using the new one. If I'm using the old one, I'm using the old one, and the two shall never com be combined? Yeah, no, in all candor, you have to be concerned about that because it's an issue, right? you got three existing systems, and we're about to replace it with a new one. There will be transition points. So without getting uh, too technical, we are increasingly engaging in a concept called a strangler pattern. And what the strangler pattern is is that we seek to identify units of functionality where we can make cleaner breakpoints. So rather than saying we are going to take out system A by replacing every feature in system A, we identify some of the mission areas of system A, break them into components, we replace those components, and then we move that over to the new system. So ACWS will increasingly stand up and, and take over the role for numerous capabilities of the system before we ultimately retire that system out. But at no point in time will we have both systems receiving data entry. 
Now, in certain cases where it might be necessary for a period of time, we are already um, investigating using things like AI and robotic process automation to help us populate data from a new system into the old system for continuity purposes. And what that allows us to do is prevent right seat, I'm sorry, uh, swivel chairing, uh, where folks have to enter in data into two different systems. So, yeah, so we, we have numerous strategies already in place to help us uh, deal with the evolution to the new target platform. I appreciate the strangler pattern. I've heard that, that term many times when you talk about agile and iterative development. Uh, I think that's in many ways seems like to be an industry best practice of how to slowly move functionality without trying to uh, to go back to the other terminology we've heard a lot big bang right try to do it all at once and we've seen that just not happen well and not not be as successful yeah, yeah big bangs are dangerous things <laughs> in many ways in many ways bill before we move on over to kind of the bigger changes that are going on for the poeis what's the message you want to make sure you you leave with folks when if they're listening to this about the army contract writing system if they're very excited about it can they can they jump on board as a user should they have to be patient what, what's the what's the last word you want to give them before we move on to to some other bigger broader topics hopefully uh, there won't be too much patience required uh, we've already got a, a steady growth plan uh, for the product line and certainly within two to three years we're hoping that it becomes the the dominant uh, contract writing platform for everything that we do now, to, to be fair and candid, um, you know, when, when does Army contract writing development end? It doesn't, right? In, in, our, in our new philosophy here, uh, and especially with the recent direction that we don't transition systems to sustainment anymore, the, the agile sprint teams will stay in effect as long as the product is alive, uh, which means it can always evolve. It doesn't have a sunset on it right away. As long as it's providing value, it lives. And so... The one takeaway we really want to, you know, I think have everybody walk away with is, you know, rest assured that uh, this is being built with all the most modern practices and it will be very high quality because we're going to be building and testing along the entire path. It will be on target because the users are engaged with every release that will happen at least monthly, if not faster. So we, are, we have a, a tremendous confidence that over the next couple of years, ACWS will be one of PEOES's greatest success stories. Bill, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation. My guest today is Bill Hupworth, the Deputy Program Executive Officer for the Army's Program Executive Office, Enterprise Information Systems, PEOEIS. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Bill Hupworth, the Deputy Program Executive Officer for the Army's Program Executive Office, Enterprise Information Systems, PEOEIS. Bill, appreciate all the insights around our uh, ACWS Army contract writing system. Let's let's shift and talk more broadly about the changes going on undergoing uh, at PEOEIS. As you said, in many ways, ACWS was a pathfinder for some of the ways you you all are changing. Uh, let's talk about those changes. How are you shifting the focus, the way PEOEIS works, and and reorganizing it, if you will, to better serve warfighters? There was a tremendous shift in PEOEAS, especially with the arrival of Mr. Gookert and uh, alongside him, uh, Colonel Wolf. And they led a very major campaign to begin transforming the organization into an agile shop away from Waterfall, which was a huge undertaking. And we had a couple programs that were already on their own volition starting to go down the agile path. But with the backing of the principal deputy, Mr. Youngbang, and the AAE Honorable uh, Doug Bush, 
we've had tremendous support in uh, evolving not just software development, but also acquisition. So when we talk about an agile transformation, we're not talking about simply dropping a few scrum teams in there and, and raising a victory flag. We are overhauling acquisition. Our front office is using Kanban on a daily basis now. Every one of our programs now is investing in training their staff on uh, Scaled Agile Framework, which is our default Agile framework for Agile program management. And within that, we are leaning on our uh, tech services providers to come to bear with highly trained, skilled Agile staffing. So already in, in the past, you know, I guess I've been here now for nine months, and this organization has already changed significantly. The terminologies we use are different. Our uh, style is more adaptive and designed to decompose large problems and solve all the small ones on a consistent basis. At the same time, the digital transformation itself has been nothing short of phenomenal, that we are no longer just you know, redefining business processes, putting them on a piece of paper and saying go build. We really are now bringing these system integrators in to help solve the business process problem and to help guide us using technology to improve all of our business processes, which is kind of like the holy grail of digital transformation. So I think we're becoming you know, more literate in digital transformation and agile. And I think on the third major pillar, again, is uh, we are all firmly committed in to becoming a data-driven organization. And so whereas PowerPoint was the dominant communication platform uh, for PEO, EIS, and I'll be honest, throughout all of ASALT, uh, it is now uh, sharing the limelight with Excel, Power BI, JIRA, and ServiceNow. So now what's happening is rather than being briefed on, on a single large 30 to 60 page PowerPoint deck, the PowerPoint decks are now 10 to 15 pages, which means we spent less time building them, by the way, so it's more efficient. And we're now seeing the actual data from the operations, which helps us see exactly where we are, which is phenomenal. In, in fact, just today I got a briefing, and the gentleman who gave me the briefing on a Power BI presentation was telling me that he spent zero time updating the presentation because they updated it based on the data source they were already using. So he said there was no time. He just simply clicked on Power BI. We got the dashboard. That was the update. So all told, I think you know, we, we have a complete transformation going on. The upskilling, a major initiative. The culture is rapidly changing, which is key. And the workforce at PEOAIS have been an absolute joy to work with because no one's really arguing it. If anything, they all see it as an exciting change in career. So they're all buying into it. As a matter of fact, I think we have 93% uh, compliance in our digital literacy curriculum that was provided by ASALT, which is just outstanding. And I haven't had to prod them hardly at all. I'm not going to say not at all, a little bit. But again, it's just, uh, it's, it's been a joy to watch. And, you know, it's just, I can't wait to see what next year brings. You can change all the business processes. You can update the, the effort and use all these great tools. But if the workforce doesn't have the skill sets, if they're not knowledgeable, if they don't buy in, all this can get, it's easy to kind of go backwards. How have you worked with the workforce to make these changes to institutionalize so they don't use Agile but then fall back into Waterfall? Or they don't, you really use Waterfall with an Agile kind of front end skin on top as, they, as we've heard many times. Talk about that workforce education piece. It's a very comprehensive program that we've got going on. I'll, I'll name a few. So uh, one is Dasa Des did a, an amazing job 
coming up with a course of Udemy training that we are now you know, pushing out to the entire workforce, so it's free for the entire workforce to take. covers topics in agile development and uh, digital transformation. So that's one pillar. We have Lunch and Learns frequently now that really encompasses an amazing array of uh, topics, all the way down to how to use Office 365 more collaboratively and more effectively, rather than just emailing documents around. We're, we're literally showing them how to interact and to co-share, co-edit documentation. So we have that. We have the aid group is now going out and doing roadshows to each one of the PMs, and they're kind of sharing all of the success stories and all of the warning signs of a natural project to each of the programs. So every month, I think the staff get to see this in effect, and they're learning from it, which is fantastic. We've changed the way briefings happen. So, you know, every week we get a, a briefing on each of the programs, and we've now got the entire uh, you know, team focused on creating a data-driven briefings. So we get to see that coming into place. We also are sending out staff to help teach them how to do these dashboards. And in fact, the programs are now helping the programs voluntarily build these dashboards. So I think the, the positive culture has become infectious within the organization and it's you know, spreading rapidly without too much effort. So it's, it's almost a self-sustaining machine at this point. Bill, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation. My guest today is Bill Hupworth, the Deputy Program Executive Officer for the Army's Program Executive Office, Enterprise Information Systems, PEOEIS. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Bill Hupworth, the Deputy Program Executive Officer for the Army's Program Executive Office, Enterprise Information Systems, PEOEIS. You bring up uh, the idea of 93% digital literacy in terms of people complying with their requirements. I think that's a great sign. People are, are seeing the trainings available. They're taking advantage of it. And that kind of leads me down the path of, of some of this other organizational changes that come with this, improving acquisition times, uh, you know, the, the time it goes from need to delivery of products or services. Talk a little bit about those changes as well. How are you improving that timeline? As you said, if you can't deliver fast quality products and services, it doesn't matter what, you know, if you're using iterative agile or waterfall or big bang theory, all of that uh, goes down the drain. You're, you're right. I mean, you know, what, what good is it to develop fast if I had to wait two years to even start? That's painful. So we simply don't anymore. So the, the aid group, uh, again, under Mr. Eric Sherwood, uh, he is now working as programs are standing up the acquisition. We're, A, setting our default um, acquisition methodology to the software acquisition pathway. So that's the 5,000.87 pathway. That isn't like a magic wand. It doesn't eliminate all of the milestones, but what it does is streamlines them, and it favors progress and development over uh, the milestones, right? So we don't, we don't get paused by too many times by milestone decisions. From an agile planning, what we're doing is uh, we're actually taking the acquisition steps and putting them into backlogs now and with the goal of reducing the time it takes from the OPR, which gives us the responsibility to go build the product, to the point at which we're developing. So we're constantly looking to move the timelines left now. That's a major topic of discussion on every one of our acquisition shaping panels, for example. So, for example, if we see a plan to uh, spend 18 months on, uh, on a BPR effort, we're probably not going to be okay with that. What we're going to recommend is to decompose that problem 
And what we're going to do is have you start by giving us the, the top-level BPR first, enough that we can get the acquisition started. And we'll build just enough requirements to build the capability needs statement or supporting requirements documentation. And as soon as we can get that, we start the acquisition process. And the advantage of that means that our integrators can get in on the ground within the first year and start interacting with the BPR teams so that they can further decompose the business processes into more details and at the same time inject technology into those business processes so that the business process comes out better. And at the same time, users are also starting to get fed in at that point, so the users are weighing in on these business process ideas as they're forming, not after the fact and not having to course correct the product. So the acquisition timelines, you know, the, the pathway is changing. The way that we go about the whole acquisition strategy now is being condensed, and we're doing more parallel activities than we used to do under the own waterfall days. So we don't have the milestone A, B, C, and all that. Basically what's happening is we get at it, and we go after the problem right away, and we try to just, you know, lay the acquisition flat as soon as we can to get the system integrators in place and, you know, betting metal right away. I know a lot of agencies m- – measure acquisition lead time, PALT, I think it's commonly called. Are you guys measuring that? Is there a goal that you're saying, hey, right now our average is to get something in place, a new capability in place, six months or six weeks? Do you have a timeline where you want to go from need to delivering a service that that you're measuring? I, I would only answer that by saying faster than we did it last time. So in other words, we're never going to be satisfied with how fast we can make these acquisitions go. But every one of them takes a different flavor and has a different level of concerns. So when you compare, like, uh, one of our programs, iTest4H, there's hundreds and hundreds of bidders, right? So there's no way to accelerate that down to under a year. Um, Other programs, like FMS ACES, we're hoping to keep that acquisition around a year. We believe that will be manageable. And so... um, we don't have a specific target because not all acquisitions are the same. We, we've got to treat them all the same, and that means different. Bill, I want, I want to shift it to one more thing before I let you go because we're pushing up against the clock here. But uh, I saw a recent release you all put about about a, something in a new program called Army Ignited. Uh, it, it seems like this is a really good example of how this reorg, this change that you're going through, is really having a, a positive effect on PEOEIS and, and, and your goals. Talk a little bit about that program and, and, and why the most recent success is, is, is a good highlight, a good example. I think it reflects uh, a total buy-in from the PM staff, the government staff, the PMO, and the integrators, all corporately and universally agreeing that Agile is the path they're taking, and they're unapologetic about it, and they just implement it every level Agile. So uh, I will tell you that I, I love having them brief me on Fridays. I always walk out with a smile. They give me the uh, JIRA burndown charts. I get to see exactly how they're doing. When they see anomalies, they're recognizing the anomaly right on the point, and they're already putting a course correction in place. And so because of that, that whole team has been able to execute in almost, I hate to say it, almost an immaculate manner. They're right on target. They're delivering on a good cadence, and they, they can tell you at any point in time exactly where that program is going and what the next feature set is gonna, uh, going to be. So Ignited is, you know, one of those successes, and we're, we're hoping that ACWS will look exactly like Ignited in about one year's time. But I think the most impressive thing about Ignited is we're seeing the metrics coming in from the number of overall user logins versus distinct logins, 
and I can get you the specific numbers. I, I love to talk about them, but they're growing every week, so I can give you the most recent update if you want. So the feedback from the users is the most incredible part because we can see it from the help desk, and we can also see it from the surveys that the users love the product. Originally, there were some rough edges, and the users told us about the rough edges. We smoothed them out, and so the adoption just continues to increase. So when, when you're talking about agile software delivery, they are, and I'll tell everybody in the organization, they're my poster child right now. And so I, I want uh, all of our programs to start looking and acting a lot like the Ignited program, and we're starting to see it on the other programs as well. So it's, again, the, Ignited, I think, is the, the, the center of positive contagion throughout our organization at this point. And if folks aren't familiar with Ignited, obviously it's, it's the tuition assistance program for soldiers, enabling them to, uh, I guess, put in requests, associated payments, really gives them that whole automated processing interfaces back with the GFEBS, which is the General Fund Enterprise Business System. All the acronyms catches me. Got to catch them sometimes. But, but I think this is really important for a lot of soldiers and, and, and folks who are dependent on this tuition assistance. So uh, it's, it's obviously great news. And if I, if I can throw one more thing on top of it, I think one of the best things about Ignited is it's really touching the, the soldier, if you think about it, right? The soldiers are getting their reimbursements faster, more easily than they ever have before in the past. So when, when you look at that business impact that it's providing, it, 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 it makes your heart feel good. Bill, last thing before I let you go, we've talked a lot about what you've done over the past six months, nine months, year or so. I'm going to ask, what, what are you doing next? What else is on your plate? A couple of top priorities for 2024 we should look out for? Yeah, I, I think you're going to see as, as we solidify our gains on agile and digital transformation, you're going to see us dive even deeper uh, into some of the topics and what you'll start hearing a lot more about uh, from PEOAIS is the uh, concepts of CICD, which we're already talking about today, but switching over to infrastructure as code and containerization and what that is going to do is accelerate our actual deployment times and make it to the point where we can hit an eventual goal of being able to you know, basically do releases at will without a major lift for each one of the releases. Another is our partnership with groups like AI2C and the Army Software Factory, which is, uh, is on the increase. You know, every week we're talking about something new. But as AI matures and is better understood and, and digested within the Army, we do seek to leverage it uh, to maximal effect as it gets sanctioned more and more by Army senior leadership. Bill, I very much appreciate your time today. We've covered a lot in, in our time together, and I'm sure we could talk a lot longer. But uh, I will let you go, and then we'll have you back on again in, in, the, in, in the next uh, couple months and, and do a catch-up. Uh, let me thank my guest. Bill Hepworth is the Deputy Program Executive Officer for the Army's Program Executive Office for Enterprise Information Systems, PEOEIS. Bill, thanks so much for taking the time. Great. Thank you, Jason. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. 